Hey Thrivers, and welcome to the Thrive Student Ministry Podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with God through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on our social medias at thriveuark. This week, Jack continues our series on relationship through the lens of the story of David. We hope you enjoy the message. Psalm 51 is a beautiful, is, is kind of is kind of awesome to me at least, uh, Psalm, and I want us to, to kind of walk through it, uh, really just be able to kind of kind of slide right in, and, um, and I want you to listen to it. I think it's got some beautiful wording in it, and we'll talk about it here in just a minute, but he says it this way. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. This is somebody who's hurting. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the wound, teaching me the wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire sacrifice. Or I'd offer you one. You don't want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered with the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. And so even kind of just this idea where we've got... David being broken right here. How, I mean, I, I don't know what some of that wording may do to you. And of course, I know that for me, I've been studying it and that kind of thing. So I know like you guys are coming in here with all kinds of different contexts and all kinds of different things going on. And so if we just kind of roll in and roll out Psalm 51, sometimes can be just like, wow, pull the mandate off. Um, but what I would say is if you've ever been exposed to this before or you kind of know the backstory and even kind of where we were last week and kind of what's going on uh, in the story of David, um, he is, he's hurt and broken in this piece. And I would just say that if you've ever been in a place where you royally mess up, you know, you got, you've, you've blown it. This is a great psalm to remember because I think he kind of lays out some, because I know that I've been there in moments and maybe you have too, where you just feel like an utter failure. Um, I think he verbalizes some things here. That, uh, that are good to kind of go back to. 
and to think about. And then two, maybe if you're just trying to figure out what that looks like to, to pray a prayer of repentance. I think there's some elements that you can kind of dig into um, in Psalm 51. So what's happened to David? What would lead him to write this? What would lead him to kind of dive into dive in that way? What would lead him to say, you know, God, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, please don't take your spirit from me. As if it's one of those where, where it really is one of those where it's like, I need you. Please. Please, I'm sorry. I'm broken. Well, so here's the story. Uh, and if we'll go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Last week, we kind of hit on a story where David's up. David makes up, you know, he makes some, some several errors, several errors. David, David is somebody who uh, oftentimes is romanticized and, re, and, and revered as someone who is a man after God's own heart and does a lot of great things, and he does. And this is David and Goliath, the same David, right? But David does not do some things well. And, and this particular instance and story and kind of what happens right here is, is absolutely some moments where David does not do right. And, and David commits sin. David um, is on, on top of, you know, his roof. He looks over. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath. It's not just like, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I was in the wrong place, wrong time. Let me get out of here. Uh, it wasn't one of those. There's a lingering moment. It's not even a, and then he sins for, and that's not even a moment like what we, we even kind of just kind of talk about that. Like it's not like an adultery necessarily type moment where we think adultery in the sense that two consenting adults decide that, hey, look, we'd like to hook up. It's a David sins for her. She is someone of not a lot of means. There's not a really opportunity for her to deny David. His stature, her stature, she, it's not, so, so David's absolutely in the wrong here. Absolutely on every level should not have done this. And it is, and, and honestly, I, I don't put any blame at all on Bathsheba on this. And so that's where David is. And, and there are multiple marks in the sand where David could have stopped and said, shouldn't be doing this. Not what I'm supposed to be messing with. And ultimately that we talked about, like that's kind of the nature of sin, right? Even looking back to Genesis 3 where you, you see things, you, you, you desire them, you take them, you try to conceal them. That's kind of the nature of it. It's exactly the way David plays this out. And, man, one of the natures of sin is that you and I cannot calculate the consequences. It's scary. It's, it's absolutely, when I think about my own life, when I think about those people who are close to me, when I think about some of you guys and, and the stories that, that I know of who you are and what men and women you're trying to become, um, sin is one of those things that the nature of sin is to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin brings death. I wish I really do. That's one of those things within Scripture that I remember it came up one time in a conversation that I would love to skirt around that. I would love to try to figure out kind of a way to pat you on the back and say it ain't that bad. But the more that I read Scripture, the more that it's, it's there, that the weight of sin is real and that it brings death. And that's not an that's not a over-embellishment. Like, that's, that's what it does. And that's what's happened during this story. And David has concealed this and he's had Uriah killed. 
And the crazy thing to me that I don't know that I've always noticed, I definitely didn't notice years ago, it's just been the last few years, but, but we see that he didn't just have Uriah killed. There are other people. There are other men that died when Uriah died. There were other wives who didn't get their husbands back home. There were other mamas whose sons didn't come back. We can't calculate the consequences. We can't just say, well, that's the only thing that'll be affected. And so we move on and we kind of get a little peek into David's mentality right here and what, what's going on with David in 2 Samuel 12. This is another thing that, man, I'm telling you, the, the text is rich and it's good. And if you want to spend the rest of the week diving into Psalm 51, there's plenty there that I didn't touch. If you want to get, dive into um, 2 Samuel 12 right here, there's a lot we won't get to. But the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. I don't know. Sometime we're going to go back and talk about Nathan because that's a, this is a bold statement right here. You got a prophet who's trying to do his best to be obedient and listen to God. And what God tells him is you need to roll into the king's house and share with him a story. Call him out. There are other people all over history who've died for this right here. But that's what God called Nathan to do. And so Nathan rolls into the house and here's what he's going to share the story. He said, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb and he, that he had bought. He raised this little lamb and grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own table and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for the guest. David's ready to throw something. He's furious. He's mad. At, I mean, you know, I don't know what kind of relationship long term. We don't get a whole lot of details on what he and Nathan's backstory are. But Nathan rolls in and tells this story. And David is mad and rightfully so. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs for the poor man and the one who he stole and having no pity. And Nathan looks up at him. And this is that look, right? That even talking about back in Peter, kind of talk, got into a little bit of a look between Jesus and Peter and we've got different moments and time periods, right? And you've had some of those time periods maybe when someone has looked at you in just kind of that way, whether it be a, a teacher or a parent or something like that. And they share a look after Nathan's kind of told this story. Now they look in each other's eyes. Nathan says, you're that man. What? No, it's you. You're, you're, the, you're the man who had everything that he needed. All that he could possibly ask for and more. If you wanted more, you could have had more. But when it came down to it, you looked over and decided that you would take the lamb from... This guy who didn't have a whole lot 
oblivious. Didn't even pay attention to it. Didn't bat an eye toward it. Didn't even, didn't even phase you. Didn't care about it. But isn't that the nature of it? Every single one of us. That's the entrapment. That's the scary part. That's the nature of how sin works within each one of our hearts, within each one of our lives. Is it, doesn't, it doesn't really register at the time. We think, and you can justify all kinds of different stuff. And that's what David does. And she justifies this, this piece in this time period right here where, well, she's beautiful, and I want her. And I can have her. And oh, shoot. We got caught. She's pregnant. Uriah, come back into town. Please sleep with your wife, wife and cover that up for us. Of course, he's, he's honorable and doesn't. And so now what? Well, we got to do something. Cover it up. We'll have him killed. Yet, for some reason before this moment, it hasn't really sank in to David how wicked that is. And he's going to say a few things right here, but really that Psalm 51 is kind of the, over, the overflow of, of what came out of this moment. And so after he says, you know, you're the one, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. He's going to list out all these different things that, of what all he's done, how he's been there for him, what all God has given him, exactly kind of what we talked about just a second ago. And, and he says, this is what the Lord said, because of what you have done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. And I will give your wives another man before your very eyes. And he'll go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secret, but I will make this happen openly in the sight of all. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David, in the midst of all this, man, the weight of all of this, David does come clean. He's guilty, right? Anybody ever felt kind of the weight of guilt? It sucks. It does. Conviction is... It's tough. And it's ugly. And none of us want it. I don't like spending a whole lot of time talking about it. I really don't. I'm not necessarily been looking forward to this, to this series. But I can tell you within our relationships, you know, within romantic relationships, uh, within friendships as well, man, we can, we can kind of get to a place real quick where, man, Dom shared a few weeks ago, right, that idea that sin takes us a little bit further than we want to go and keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it's very easy and tempting to kind of go down that direction. And what I would tell you is that even in this piece right here, David, the weight of conviction, if you've ever had conviction in your heart and life, I want to share with you maybe just even something that's a little bit counterintuitive, is that conviction or guilt is a good thing. Guilt, conviction, the weight of that, that's a way that God invites you into relationship. 
I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. I haven't for a long time. I'd rather just stay away from it, right? <laughs> but when we feel guilty over things, that's our opportunity to do something different. And it's how God invites us into relationship or calls us back into relationship with him. We need that. David needed that in this moment. If David doesn't, if there's not a sense of guilt or conviction within your life, man, think about the heinous stuff that we do. Think about how many times, especially for some of you, right? You've been around biblical knowledge a long time. There's a lot of this book that, I mean, you know, I'm not telling you a new story tonight. But there's a difference in hearing the stories or have heard them before, knowing the stories, and actually applying them to your life. And conviction is one of those routes in which God can bring us back to His presence. And I do believe that, man, this carries some heavy and weighted stuff in David's life and in his family. David royally screwed up. But David also genuinely repents in this moment. And I think that there's a lot that can be said about that. Because I know it to be true in my life and your life. That sin, man, it carries weight. And there's no way for us to get around it. That little line right there, I don't know if you even caught it, but Nathan tells him, what you did in private, it's going to be brought out in public. Isn't that a scary thought, right? Right? For all of us who, you got stuff that has happened behind closed doors or in, pri in the privacy of your own room or in the privacy of your own heart. To think that, what if it came out? And the truth of the matter is, over the course of time, it will come out. That's the nature of it. Unchecked, unfettered, it's coming out. There's no way around it. You can fight it as long as you'd like to. And the shame and the guilt is going to eat you up because that's how it works. That's the nature of it. And in this moment right here, I haven't always seen it this way, but this encounter with Nathan and David is a blessing. And yeah, at first, because none of us, right? None of us like to be called out. None of us like to be our stuff kind of laid out in front of people. But the accountability that Nathan brings into this moment is remarkable. Life-changing. And there, like I said, there's some ramifications that David can't avoid. But it's a blessing that God calls him out right through here. And so my question kind of runs into this is, why? Or what do we do with this? What, what, what do, how do we respond in the midst of a moment like this? When you know that sin carries weight, or that it's coming to the head where it's like, hey, look, man, there's no way to avoid it. It's going to come out. It ought to come out. It needs to come out for your healing, for your betterment. Well, that's where we get repentance. 
And repentance leads to right relationship with God. That's where we get the Psalm 51. That's where we get some of those lines from there where David truly is broken. Where David begins to verbalize some of those things that they're just so sweet. We, I just want to call your attention back to a couple of them, right? But the, the, in light of what we just talked about, kind of coming out that, that Nathan comes to him and, and David now has to face the reality of what he's done with Bathsheba, what, he, what, what his family has seen and known happen, what the kingdom has now seen and known happen. What Joab, one of his, his military commander and his main person, what that would have been like for Uriah to carry a sealed envelope, hand it to him on the battlefield, him to open it up and think, I know Uriah. I don't understand this. But I'll do it, I guess. I don't understand why David would ask me to have this man killed. And the weight of a general on the commanding field, knowing there's no way he can just have Uriah killed, but the chances of other people having to suffer in this moment too. And David now has to come clean with that. That's why Psalm 51 is weighty. And that washed me, washed clean from me my guilt and purified me from my sin. Man, that is something that all of us at different times in our life, and I know that you've had mistakes, and you've, you've, you've messed up. Please, God, clean me, wash me. That same language and attitude is really the same thing, even bringing up a character we've talked about this semester in Peter. When Jesus says he's going to wash their feet, right? And when Peter kind of gets the weight of the reality of the moment, of like, wait a second, if you're going to wash my feet, and that's really what it means that, that the first is going to be last, the last is going to be first type thing, well, wash my head, my hands, wash all of me. And he's like, no, that's, that's not really what we're doing right here. But... But, that, but that's what we all long for, is to be clean and to be right with God. And the route in which we become right with God is through repentance. And over the years, it's been tough for me to even really try to figure out how to articulate repentance. Because repentance is tough for me, I don't know. Because let me give you kind of that, that idea, that definition, right? It's, it's being sorry enough to go and change directions, right? The, the literal word means to change your mind. And, and, and what, but I, I feel like for us, in our current context, the idea of just simply changing your mind is, you know, it's like, well, I was going to go eat pizza, but I think I'll go somewhere else. Like, no, it's not that kind of change your mind. It's like literally to change the way in which you respond, to change the way you think. So I like that thought process of, you know, it's, it's not just I'm broken, I'm sorry. But I am so sorry that we're going to change how we move forward. And that's what leads us into right relationship with God. As a matter of fact, that's, that message has been put all throughout the Scripture. Right? So those of you who were there at church on Sunday, Mitchell was talking about with Jonah. That's, that's the message, right, that Jonah comes walking into Nineveh with, is repent. 
That's what you guys need to do. You need to change directions. Your, your mind needs to shift and change. That's what John the Baptist came for. Hey, look, the Messiah is on his way. It's right here. You need to repent and change the way you're thinking. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up, and that's what he says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin to take away and wash clean your sins. Repentance is tough, but it's how we become right with God. And so I want to show you, share with you just a second. Listen to this out of Romans 6, verse 20. It says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things that you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. Anybody ever kind of felt that way? Like you can look back on some of the stuff that you've, you've done, you've thought. And you look back and say, no, I'd really prefer not to bring that out in the open. That skeleton needs to stay in the closet. That's really kind of where he's hitting right here with this idea that, yeah, you're ashamed. And ultimately they end up in eternal doom. But, but, now, but now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. I don't want that word slave to kind of trip you up too much because we've got the connotation right here in, in our current day and time. But where he's beginning to lay out is the gospel. You know, last week I shared with you talking about, um, you know, things that you're ashamed of, right? Last week I shared with you a, kind of a, a story and time period where I messed up. And I want to kind of continue that story just a little bit. Because I made mistakes before being married to Karen and then having to, um, have to bring that into the relationship and explain that a little bit having to walk through that with her and help with her insecurities and how those things don't work really well together. And it's, it's tough. And I would say that it's not worth it. And, and definitely would look back on it and say, for anything, whatever I was thinking in that moment, it's not worth it. And that's the nature of sin, right? But then when we even begin to think about that, we can't calculate all the consequences from it. See, the, the furtherance of that story a little bit is that um, and after we started the relationship wrong, I, I finally got the courage for us to sit and have a conversation and talk about it. And I still remember that evening where one of those where I'm nervous, I'm sweating, I got my palms sweaty and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to sit there and we're going to talk. And, and ultimately what I needed to say was, I'm sorry, the way we started this relationship was, was not right. And it's not good. And, and, and what life experience that I'd even had up to that point, I knew that when you don't have the foundation right, it's real hard to continue. And I told you guys this last week that for, for me and her, like she was a friend and someone that had been a friend since probably kindergarten time frame. And so... I remember us getting in and having that conversation a little bit, starting to talk about it. I kind of try to pull the Band-Aid off and just kind of go that direction and say, I'm really sorry. You know, wish we wouldn't have done, wish we wouldn't have started that way. Wish we wouldn't have, the relationship wouldn't have got kicked off that way. And I'll never forget 
that kind of those next moments. Because as she was teared up, the words that kind of came out of her mouth were, I thought you were, yeah, I thought you were different. Mm. Yep. You're right, I should have been. You're right. And that's the nature of it, right? Should have been. And David should have been. I can imagine that kind of conversation between David and Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> Thought you were the man after God's own heart. Thought you were the leader that led with God's standards. That he was the one that kind of has given you all the victories that you've gotten. Thought you had faith in God enough to stand up against the giant. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. And there's really nothing to kind of come back from with that. Other than the weight of sin is heavy. And there's no way around that for us. I can't soften that for you. And I need you to understand that. And most of the time, our problem is that, that we want to justify around it and think about what's not really bad and all, you know, like, maybe, well, this circumstance and, and the culture that we live in today, that's okay. And, and just across the board, we, just humanity in general, we do a, a phenomenal job of justifying things. And the truth and reality is, played out over time and time and time again, is that sin carries weight and that ultimately leads to death. Death of a relationship, death of a, you know, friendship, literal death. That, that's where it's headed. Eternal separation and death. That's where it goes. So here's the hope. Because I know that's heavy. And you keep reading later on in 2 Samuel. And David, David's family is now going to take a turn because they have seen their father, the leader, the guy who should have been in charge and who should have been better, who should have led different. You know, should have, things should have been different. They're going to go through some terrible things. And as a matter of fact, David and Bathsheba are about to lose that child. Which, for any parent, would just be absolutely gut-wrenching to have gone through something like that. Yeah, something going on. So there's lots of stuff, but for those of you who've been in that spot or maybe in that spot right now, here's some things I want to share with you. One, repentance is the way to relationship with God. 
It's, I truly am sorry. And you may be at a spot either now or sometime in the future where there needs to be a deep brokenness. And I need you to see that as a blessing, not something to run from. But that moment to say, I am broken, I am sorry, enough to shift and change. Because for me, out of those moments, just from a personal standpoint, out of those moments led to me laying down in my bedroom floor, weeping, saying, God, I'm in the midst of some chaos and some just junk that, that I am tired of waffling back and forth. And, and, and God, I don't want to be here anymore. And it's taken, it, it took me even years to try to figure out like what in the, like, where did that come from, the agony? But when I read Psalm 51, and I, I, you feel and think about where that came from from David. And then you look at something maybe even like in Luke where you got the prodigal son in Luke 15, kind of the 16, 17 time frame where he says, yeah, and he came to his senses. Where he's been off and he's spent his wealth. He's done these things. And he says it came to himself. And he's, he's, like, he's looking at the picture off and he's saying, what am I doing? I don't have to be here. I can go home. And I love that depiction. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on in that parable as well. But that's the only time in the entire Bible that we have God, the figure of God the Father, in a hurry. Is that when the, when the son decides to go home and the father runs to him. Never in any other time. I don't know if you knew that counts. But no other time within Scripture is God in a hurry. And so the same thing that David finishes off Psalm 51 with that broken and contrite heart, like, like you don't, sacrifice is not what you want. You don't want me to just cut up another bull and put it on the fire. Like that's not going to do anything. But, but, but the broken heart, God, I am, I am done. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. Please help me. That honors God. And God honors that. And so out of that, too, is where we get something like kind of that end of Romans 6, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I finish it up with this in Ephesians 2. Because in Ephesians 2, there's... There's another piece, right, where, where the gospel becomes so clear. And that's why it's the good news, because the, and, and, and these things go hand in hand. You really can't separate them, right? Is that the weight of sin is death, and there's really no way around that for you and me. And that's what we deserve, and that's what we've led up to. But in verse 4, it says this in Ephesians 2, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you're saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Think about that. 
you deserve and I deserve death. We should have been better. David should have been better. <coughs> However, what God did because of his great mercy, Jesus Christ gave us the opportunity for relationship with God. And everything changes for all of eternity. And that's the good news. Is that we have screwed up and we should have been better. And we could have done things different. But the truth of the matter is we didn't. And we can't. But Jesus, the story of, of what Jesus Christ did on the cross changes everything for you and me. And it leads us to somewhere like even like Romans 8, 1, where it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. That's ludicrous. That doesn't make any sense to me at times. I love it. I give my life for it. But think about the absurdity that you and I deserve death. Death to our relationships and death to everything that comes out in front of us because the truth of the matter is we should have been better. But then Jesus, Jesus loved you enough, Talons, to die for you. Yeah, absolutely, thank God. And that changes everything. And we'll continue the story next week. But I need you to grab a hold of some of that. And I want you to pay attention to and go back and read this week in Psalm 51. Because there's going to be a point in time in your life, if you haven't been there, if you're not there right now, that you're going to need to figure out how to verbalize what brokenness is.